Well, let's turn in our Bibles together this morning, the book of John chapter 15 once again. John chapter 15. We have been studying these last several weeks in this chapter in the book of John, looking in detail at this illustration that the Lord Jesus Christ used of the vine and the branches to help us understand how we ought to live the Christian life and what it means to truly be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the, the command in this passage is, is that one phrase when he said, Abide in me. That is the command. That's our responsibility as Christians. And we've learned that the concept of abiding in Christ is, is remaining close to Him and consistent fellowship. It's living in complete dependence on Him for all things at all times because you realize that apart from Him, you are nothing and you can do nothing. And that if you wander from Him, you will wither and come to a wasted end. But today's message is going to be a very practical, daily, down-to-earth kind of a message. What does abiding in Christ look like in practice? It's one thing to say we need to abide in Him. But, I mean, how do we do that? It's one thing to know that you need Jesus and that without Him you can do nothing. But how do you express that dependency on Christ? And how do you maintain that dependency on Christ when your flesh is trying so hard to pull you back to independence and back to self-righteousness. Well, John 15 and verse number 7 is the answer to that question. Jesus said, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Abiding in Christ looks like a healthy relationship to the Word of God and consistent prayer. Now, could reading your Bible and praying really be that important? Or is it just a legalistic spiritual form of self-righteousness. There are a lot of people who say that any preaching or teaching about how that you should consistently read your Bible and pray is, is ignoring the relationship that you're supposed to have with Christ. But Jesus says it very plainly here that if you are in a right relationship with Him, if you are in a, an abiding relationship with Him, then it will evidence itself, it will be demonstrated in your life by His words abiding in you and you asking what you will, that is prayer, and it being done for you. Now, it is entirely possible to read your Bible and to pray legalistically. Absolutely. In fact, Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, don't pray like the Pharisees, like the hypocrites. They do it wrong. And there, the same thing could be said about Bible reading. Some people just read their Bible to check it off so that they can pat themselves on the back and think they've done a good job that day. 
It's possible to read your Bible and pray legalistically, but it is not legalistic to acknowledge that Jesus said a person who is abiding in Him will have His words, the words of Christ, the words of God abiding in them, and they will be praying. And so the title of today's message is Abiding Through Prayer and Bible Reading. Abiding Through Prayer and Bible reading. Christ is the vine through which all spiritual life flows. And staying connected to the vine in practice means a healthy intake of the Word of God and regular prayer. Heavenly Father, we need your help over these next few minutes, like we always do, to understand the truth of your Word. Our flesh wants to do its own thing wants to go its own way, and we need the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and apply it to our heart today and show us what we ought to be doing if we say we are truly abiding in Christ. And Lord, that our lives would be filled with fruit for your honor and glory is our goal and our hope and our prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look with me, first of all, at the life of the Word. The life of the Word. Jesus said it in verse number 7 here, If ye abide in me. Now, there, there's, there's this whole understanding here going back to verse number 1, where Jesus said, I am the vine and my Father is the husbandman. And as he says later in this passage, ye are the branches. There's this whole vital understanding of that relationship between the branch and the vine that we've covered very thoroughly over these last few weeks. That without the vine, the branch cannot survive. Now this is true in a literal sense in the natural world. And Jesus uses this as an illustration to help us understand that in order to In order to have spiritual vitality, we have to remain connected with Him. We have to be close to Him in consistent fellowship. And so He says, if ye abide in Me, if you are abiding in Me. And now He introduces another thought that seems almost like it's coming out of nowhere, but actually it's just the other side of the coin, if you will. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, up to this point, Jesus has not said anything in this passage about his words and the significance of them. So to help us understand what Jesus means by this, let's go back a few chapters to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Now before we read here in John chapter 6, what is it about the vine that gives gives the branch life? In a a physical sense in the natural world, how does that work? What is the mechanism? It is through the sap, we would call it, of the vine. So inside all plants... Uh, there is a, a, a sap of some sort. And all that is is water with nutrients mixed into it. And so the, uh, the, the, the roots will draw up from the soil all various nutrients and, and there's some back and forth going on with the leaves producing all the uh, glucose and sugars and different things like that. And then it's distributed throughout the whole plant 
through that whole network and that whole system where the sap flows. So in the natural world, that's how it works. There's a mechanism there where we can say it this way, the life is transferred through this medium or through this vehicle to the branch. Okay, you follow me so far? That's why if you cut off the branch, it dies because that connection's been severed. The life is not flowing anymore. Now, with that in mind, let's look in, in John chapter 6. I'm, for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but if you were to go back to uh, chap, chapter 6, verse 53, Jesus had this whole discussion with the folks that were there about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And even when I say it like that, that's kind of like, really? Ew. And by the way, that was exactly the reaction that he got. Everybody heard him say this and they were like, whoa, wait a second. What are you talking about? What do you mean eat your flesh and drink your blood? In fact, Jesus went on to say, if you don't do that, then, then you don't have life. You, you don't have eternal life and of course, by implication, that means you'll die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. And so, verse 60, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? This is, this is pretty tough, Jesus. What, what are you talking about? When it, Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said, doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Now notice verse 63, here comes a very important explanation of what Jesus meant. He says, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit their life. Now, Jesus said, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. In this illustration, I think there was first an allusion to the Last Supper and what he would do on the cross with his uh, crucifixion and the shedding of blood. But also, notice the connection here. He's talking about blood, which Leviticus tells us that the life is in the blood, right? And, and coming off of that illustration, he says that his word is life. So your blood, not meaning to be gross this morning, but this is the illustration. Your blood functions in your body in the exact same way that sap functions in a plant, right? Your blood is that liquid that flows through your body and it does all kinds of things. It is amazing what God has designed our bodies to be able to do, designed our blood to be able to do. I mean, it, it, does, it, it accomplishes so many roles. It transfers oxygen all around your body from your lungs to the cells. It takes the, uh, the uh, CO2 out of the cells, back to the lungs so it can be breathed out. It does all of that. It's transferring uh, nutrients throughout your body as things are absorbed and digested, and it goes all throughout your body, and there's those transfers. It's taking impurities out, and they get cleansed over here. And, and then there's the whole immune system that the blood gets involved in, all of that. It's just amazing what your blood does. And so it's quite literally true that it is, it, it, it's absolutely vital to your life. You can't live without it. And it's funny that they took so many thousands of years for them to figure that out. <laughs> Remember, they used to use leeches all the time, which technically they still do in some very limited cases. But, you know, it used to be, oh, you've got bad blood, so we just need to get rid of it. We're just going to bleed you. Well, that didn't work. We'll just bleed you some more. <laughs> That used to be cutting-edge medical technology, you know. 
bleed them. And then they figured out, oh, you know what? Maybe we want to keep that in there because it actually is pretty important. And so Jesus said that the word of God is to our soul what the blood is to our body. It's that which can flow through us to distribute life to every part. And that is in essence the same thing that sap does in a plant. It's that liquid that distributes everything necessary for life. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So we understand that Jesus is the vine and through him we get spiritual life. But how does that spiritual life come? What is the mechanism that the Lord Jesus Christ uses to distribute it? It is the word of God. All right, it is true for the salvation first and foremost. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We can only receive salvation and have eternal life because of what we know about the gospel from the Word of God. But it is also true after salvation for our sanctification that in order for you and I to be changed into the image of Christ, we have to have the Word of God. The Bible says that as we behold in Scripture the glory of God, we are changed into that same image. In James, we're told that the Word of God is like a mirror that shows us what is wrong so that it can be changed. All throughout Scripture, we are constantly pointed back to the Bible to say this is what you need to have fullness of spiritual life. It's what you need for salvation. It's what you need for sanctification. The Word of God is what God uses in our life to grow us, to teach us, to make us more like Christ. So back in John chapter 15, Jesus said, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about allowing the Word of God to flow freely through our life so that God can work in us to produce the fruit that He wants to be there. Now, some would still insist that, no, no, if you, if you say you have to read the Bible, you have to study the Bible, you have to commit the Bible to memory in order to grow, you're a legalist. Well, let's, let's, let's take this illustration here. To use an analogy from the human body, frequently in Scripture, God likens His Word to food. I think He does that for two reasons. Number one, it's something we can all identify with. Some of us more than others. But number two, because it's such a fitting illustration of what the, the, the Word does for us, the Bible is to our spirit what food is to the body. Now, let me ask you a question. Some of you may or may not have had breakfast this morning. You may be a breakfast person or not. Um, but I guarantee you that there's probably not many people in here today who has not eaten something in the last 24 hours. Most everybody in here has probably eaten something in the last 24 hours. Now, why did you do that? Probably because you got hungry, right? Now, when you ate that food, I want you to consider this with me. You probably weren't thinking this at the time. But looking back on that, 
When you ate that food, whatever it was, were you saying, I am totally self-sufficient? I don't need anyone or anything else outside of me. I have everything I need in myself. Is that what you were saying? Quite the opposite, right? You were saying, I'm starving. I'm missing something. I, I need something from outside of me to, to help me. And if I go too long without eating, I know what's going to happen. First, I'm going to get cranky, and that's not good for anybody. If it goes on long enough, I'm going to start getting very weak. I'm going to get sick. And if it goes on too long, I could even die from starvation. Why do we eat? Well, in part because it's fun. But more importantly, because we need to. Why do we read the Bible? Well, in part, hopefully you enjoy it. I, I, I do. I, I, I honestly enjoy reading the Bible. Not all the time. There's some times where my flesh gets in the way. But a lot of times, I'm just, I'm just, I just find it interesting. I just really do. But you know what? That's not why we should read the Bible. Not because we enjoy it, though we should. We should read the Bible because we know without Him we can do nothing. We need His Word to sustain us and to fulfill us so that we might grow, so that we might be healthy. And Jesus said, if my words abide in you. Now notice He's using the same word here, abide, to describe the relationship that we ought to have with the Bible. It's the same as the relationship we have with Him. We abide in Him, He abides in us. We abide in His Word, His Word abides in us. It's one and the same. And so we, we consider this analogy of food again. And take it another step further. What happens when you eat something? All right, let's just go through the basics here. Chew it up, swallow it, goes in your stomach, begins the process of digestion, we call it. What happens when you digest something? Well, your body, created by God in this wonderful way, takes what you have put in your mouth and swallowed, breaks it down into smaller and smaller parts so that it can be absorbed by your body and moved around all throughout so that literally, you've heard the expression, you are what you eat, right? That's literally true. Some of you had Fruit Loops this morning, and now you're part Fruit Loop. It literally becomes a part of you. That's literally what's happening when you eat something. You're saying, I need nutrition. I need sustenance from an outside source. And so you put it in your body that's distributed throughout your body. It becomes a part of you. And we all know how important diet is. You know, if you want to be healthier, there are two things that every medical professional will tell you. If you, if you work on these two areas, it's going to help. Universally. Universally, all right? And they are diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. What you eat and what you do, okay? If you want to lose weight, move more, eat less. That's the formula, okay? <laughs> That's just how it works. But you know, of the two, Diet is arguably the more important. You think about professional athletes. Professional athletes, many of them will spend hours a day training. But along with that, they are also eating very careful diets. Because they understand that what they fuel their body with is going to make a huge difference in their performance down the road. And, and, and last 
last few decades, perhaps, this has really come to the forefront in, in the professional sports world about diet and, and what you're putting in your body and different things. And it really is true. I heard an expression, or read it, rather, several years ago, and it's really helped me. A guy said, you cannot outrun your fork. What do you mean by that? Well, some people just want to eat trash and then exercise to make up for it, and they find it doesn't work. If you want to be truly healthy, yes, exercise, but you have to have a good diet. You can't outrun your fork. Now, you're looking at me like, uh, it spoke to me. Okay, it helped me. And the fact of the matter is that when it comes to our Christian life, our diet is so important. If we are, if all we're doing is trying to exercise spiritually, but our spiritual diet is junk food, because we're not getting into the Word of God, studying it, learning it, committing it to memory, hiding it in our heart. We're getting all of our spiritual truth secondhand. You know, we're just going through the drive through at McDonald's and reading the little devotional or hearing the little podcast, but we're not getting into the Word of God for ourselves. Our diet is horrible. We're going to be spiritually weak. We're going to be spiritually sick. And we can exercise all we want. And the danger is that we can actually hurt ourselves by trying to do too much when our soul does not have the spiritual fuel it needs to accomplish it. Because we're doing it in our own strength instead of relying upon the source of strength that Jesus has given us. When you get up in the morning and you go through whatever little ritual you might have for me, it's coffee, all right, I admit it. I get up and I stumble around the kitchen for about 15 minutes making coffee, all right. Once I get the coffee made and then sit down and I start reading the Bible, I'm not saying I'm self-sufficient, I can do this, I've got it down. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying I'm helpless. I need God in my life. Folks, that's what reading the Bible is when you're doing it right. Yes, it's possible to do it legalistically. Yes, it's just to, you can do it just to check it off, be able to look back and, I, I, look, I understand that. I, I am the kind of person that sometimes I will make a list after I've done something just to check it off the list. All right? I'll do that. I, I get the excitement of, oh, I accomplished this, I did this, I did that. But if that's the only reason you're reading the Bible is to say, I went 365 days without missing a day reading the Bible, you're doing it for the wrong reason. If you're not doing it because you realize how much you need God in your life, then His Word is not truly abiding in you. Psalm 19.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There's the life of the Word. But then notice secondly from John 15, 7, the liberty of prayer. The liberty of prayer. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will. Now let's just pause right there before we look at the rest of the verse. Now notice here, there's, there's a very important some grammar here. There's a word that is not here. Usually we see the word if, and it's introducing a if-then statement. All right? 
if this is true, then you need to do this. But that's absent from this verse. Jesus is describing a reality. Follow me here. If you abide in me, reality one, my words abide in you. Reality two, you shall ask what you will. What he's describing here is what abiding in him looks like. If you're really abiding in Christ, then his words do abide in you, and you are asking what you will. That is, you are praying. And notice the liberty that he gives here. Ye shall ask what you will. What you will. You will come before God freely to bring your desires and your petitions to Him. You will come seeking grace and finding mercy to help you in your time of need. You will come to God freely when you're abiding in Christ. In other words, this circumstance is assumed to be true. If you are abiding in Christ, then His words are abiding in you, and you are asking what you will. You will be praying. Now let's, let's consider praying in the same light of Bible reading. When you pray, are you declaring self-sufficiency? Do you come to God in prayer and say, God, I just want you to know I got this. Is that prayer? God, I just want you to know I don't need your help today. That's not prayer, is it? What is prayer? Prayer is asking. It's coming to God with your needs. It's letting your requests be made known unto Him. It's casting all your care upon Him. Prayer is an expression of dependency. You pray because you know you need God. You pray because you know there are questions that you don't have answers to. You pray because you know there's questions you don't even know about yet. You pray because you have needs you can't meet. You, have, you pray because you have problems you can't solve. You pray because you have burdens you can't carry. That's what prayer is. So to say, I am depending fully on Christ, but to not pray is an absolute contradiction. You're not abiding in Christ if you're not praying. Because by not praying, how are you operating? You're saying, I don't need God. I got this. That's what a prayerless life is saying. But sadly, we operate that way a lot of times. We think, we got this. And I am convinced that the longer you're saved, the harder it is not to rely on yourself. It ought to be the other way around, but that's not how it happens. Why? Because we get experience. And we get knowledge, and we learn a lot, and we experience a lot. And the temptation comes to depend on what we've learned and what we know and the strength that we have and the skills we develop instead of continually relying on Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ is not strengthening you so that you can carry bigger burdens. Listen to me. He is strengthening you so you can hold on to Him tighter. We have to learn to depend on Him. Now Jesus goes on to say, You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. This is both 
a promise and a diagnosis. It's a diagnosis because if you're not abiding in Christ, then you're not praying. And vice versa, if you're not praying, you're not abiding, you're not abiding in Christ. So this is a diagnosis. And if you're not abiding in Christ, you're not praying properly, that is, in faith and submission to God's will, and so you're not seeing regular answers to prayer. It's a gauge that we can use to help us determine what is my relationship with Christ really like? I mean, I think I'm close to Him, I think I'm walking with Him, but how do I know? Well, how many answers to prayer have you seen recently? I'm not going to do it, but if I were to ask you to write down on a piece of paper three specific answers to prayer that you've seen in the recent past, and you can define recent past however you wish, could you do it? There are a lot of Christians who couldn't. There are many who would... Boy, they'd have to rack their brain and think, oh, man, three specific answers to prayer. Why is it that specific answer to prayer seems so abnormal to us? It happens and we're like, it actually worked. I prayed and... And God granted my prayer request. I mean, we're like shocked. Why is that? It's because we have accepted as normal something that God never intended to be normal. Unanswered prayer is not normal for the Christian life. And if you're abiding in Christ, then His words will abide in you, and you will ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. And God will delight in doing it for you, because if you're abiding in Him, then you'll be praying properly. You'll be praying in faith, praying in submission to His will. James describes the problem as many Christians face it. In James chapter 4, he says, "...you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have. Ye ask, or yet ye have not, because ye ask not." That's our first problem. We don't pray. Some Christians don't see answer to prayer because they don't pray. Nothing more than perhaps for their meals or a quick bedtime prayer, but there is no serious conversation with God going on on a regular basis. But then he says in verse number 4, verse number 3, ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. That's the other problem we have. We get serious about God in prayer, but we're asking for something that's not God's will. We're asking it selfishly. We're asking it stubbornly. God, I need this in my life. When God knows that what we need is not that or that or that, what we need is Him. We get so fixated on the stuff, the solutions, all of these other things that we're praying about that we lose sight of the one we are praying to. Prayer is a conversation with God. And we ask amiss because we ask to consume it upon our lust, what we want. Now what happens if you stop taking in the Word of God and you stop Praying. Well, you are pinching off the flow of life from the vine, and you will wither. Notice that's what we saw last week in verse number six. 
that the branch that is cast forth, it withers and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. It's a wasted end to our life when we separate ourselves from God in fellowship and we distance ourselves from God and the farther we get, the drier we get, the more we wither and eventually our life will be wasted unless we stay connected to the vine. It's kind of a trick question to ask, is it really that simple? Is, re- is it really that simple? Is, is abiding in Christ as simple as reading a Bible and praying? Yes and no. Yes, it really is that simple. Because abiding in Christ is both expressed and maintained by a healthy, regular intake of the Word of God and continual prayerfulness. So yeah, it really is that simple. But it's, no, it's not. Because it's more than just the motions. It's more than just the actions. It's more than just saying the words of a prayer or reading words on a page. It's about your heart understanding how much you need God. And so if you're praying because you know you need God, then that is abiding prayer. If you're reading the Word of God because you know you need God, that's an abiding kind of Bible reading. Yes, it's possible to do these things for the wrong reasons, and you're not abiding. But it is impossible to abide in Christ and not be regularly reading His Word and consistently praying. If you believe that you are totally dependent on Jesus, then you will go to His Word, that source of spiritual nourishment, regularly. If you believe that without Him you can do nothing, then you will go to Him often in prayer to find the grace to help in time of need. And if you do not read your Bible and pray regularly, you are wandering and you will wither. Abide in Christ. Let His words abide in you and you will ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Heavenly Father, I... I'm so thankful how you make your word easy for us to understand when we rely on you for the understanding. Our confusion is because of our own limitations. It's not because you gave us a faulty book that was too complicated for us It's because we're sinners and we need the Holy Spirit to guide us. And Lord, even as we've looked at this verse of Scripture today that emphasizes the vital nature of reading our Bible and praying, Lord, my concern is that those who have been saved for a length of time, who've been in church for many, many years, 
will just file this way as a way as another sermon about reading my Bible and praying and not really understand the significance of what our Savior said here. So Lord, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would impress the truth today upon the hearts of all who hear and that you'd be glorified in it. I pray it in Jesus' name.